0: So, Bill Barnwell, after a regular season that really did run the entire spectrum of human emotion, which feels appropriate, by the way, for a sport that simply refuses to stop microdosing Nathan Peterbitt. <laughs> we have arrived. We have arrived on the brink of a weekend that feels like what to you now, exactly? Oh, boy. I, it feels like
1: uncertainty, which I, I think many people would associate, of course, with the Damar Hamlin incident. A couple weeks ago, Nathan Peterman played pretty well last week in week 18, which also raises uncertainty questions. He
0: started. He started a game. He started, and he was
1: fine. Like, he was, <laughs> he was not the worst quarterback on his own team, which but, I think is kind of remarkable.
0: And yet, it raises this larger epistemological question of, like, what can I actually believe is real?
1: There's not a lot to hang your hat on. In this wild card weekend, if you want to rely on something being real, Pablo, because this is full of uncertainty, right? There's multiple teams who are starting backup quarterbacks in the first round to a Tango The Dolphins star quarterback is out. Baltimore seems very unlikely to have former MVP Lamar Jackson. There's maybe one matchup that has two actual quarterbacks that people believe in which could mean some back-and-forth chaotic games and maybe some embarrassing blowouts.
0: And so now you are describing a macro dose. Now that I tried to do the math here, you're describing this dangerous macro dose of six (laughs) playoff games we're about to consume here from our couch. And it feels like, yeah, we should probably uh, pace ourselves. (laughs) Yes.
1: You want to get plenty of water, get fluids, be mindful of both What you eat and when you eat it because you don't want to end up a bloated mess on the couch and Sunday afternoon be crying your existence when you're still obligated by an employer who may or may not be in Bristol, Connecticut to devour a duel between Danny Dimes, Daniel Jones and Kirk Cousins on national television.
0: America really is a French goose of a nation on Super Wildcard Weekend. We are football foie gras, ourselves in so many words, about to be force-fed this seemingly endless, delicious menu of expensive and high-stakes NFL playoff games. Until we very luxuriously burst. And so today... We ask our friend Bill Barnwell, the sharpest and most empirically minded football analyst we know, to explain how he is attacking the half a dozen dishes in front of us. And he helps us manage our expectations and our livers in the process. I'm Pablo Torre. It's Thursday, January 12th. And this is ESPN Daily. So we got to start, obviously, with the top of the menu here, Bill. And at the top yes. is Game 1, 4.30 p.m. Eastern, the 7th-seeded Seahawks in all of their weirdness at the 2nd-seeded Niners in what is going to be, I mean, a, a playoff duel, a quarterback <laughs> duel of Geno Smith versus Brock Purdy, which just feels <laughs> insane. Like, we should really take the time to not grow numb to things like this and just acknowledge that if you woke up from hibernation to watch the NFL playoffs and this is how it started, like, yeah, what the hell?
1: Imagine this person waking up, hearing about Geno Smith and Brock Purdy, and then you get to tell them about everything that happened with Russell Wilson this year. <laughs> Imagine the joy that would just spark in your eyeballs as you begin to tell them about
0: My child, uh, my child, you have so much to learn. <laughs> so much to learn
1: about who did and did not ride in Broncos country this past season. But, Pablo, this actually occurred to me when I was doing my awards column this week for ESPN.com. Cuz so I was thinking about coach of the year and there are plenty of viable candidates, Doug Peterson, Brian Dable, Nick Siriani, all extremely reasonable choices. But I also realize that it's sort of crazy that we're taking what Kyle Shanahan is doing for granted. I mean, Brock Purdy was the literal last pick in the draft. Every rookie seventh round pick from 1950 to 2021 combined to post a total of two games with a passer rating North of 100. Mm. They, they, as a whole, the entire group, every single seventh round pick going back to the black and white television era had a combined four wins as starters in their rookie Man. season as seventh round picks. Pablo, do you know what Brock Purdy's record is?
0: I believe Brock Purdy is is five and zero. Oh, Bill Barnwell.
1: <laughs> he has more wins than every other rookie seventh round pick in the history, the modern history at least of the National Football League. And sure. You can make the case he's played some middling defenses. He hasn't really had to be played from behind all that often. He's going to play tougher defenses in the postseason. But he's lived beyond anybody's wildest expectations since entering the lineup here. There's going to be a game where the Niners do face a difficult matchup for Purdy, but I don't think this is it. This is a really good matchup. For the Niners, in terms of how Purdy wants to operate this offense, the Seahawks are the league's eighth worst rush defense by DVOA. So Purdy can hand the ball off, pitch it to Christian McCaffrey, pitch it to Elijah Mitchell, who just came back from injury. That will be fine. This is a dream matchup in terms of where the Niners want to attack and where the Seahawks
0: typically are weakest. And meanwhile, like the converse of this, the Niners defense, which has now held the Seahawks to 20 points combined doing the math there and two losses so far this season. That feels like exactly the opposite kind of a problem for Seattle. It
1: does. That is not ideal for Geno Smith, who I love, who I'm excited to see playing in the postseason. Same. But he has slipped a bit during the second half of the year, especially when it comes to protecting the football. Smith only had four giveaways during his first eight games of the season, but over the ensuing nine, He's caught the ball up 11 times. Now he goes to play San Francisco, which has forced 30 takeaways on defense this year, the second most of any team in the National Football League. Smith is going to have to play basically a perfect mistake-free game for the Seahawks to have a chance here.
0: But our second course of the day here... It's gonna be served at eight fifteen PM Eastern on Saturday. We're getting the Chargers at the Jaguars, and I'm I'm really trying to do something other than fetishize quarterbacks throughout this entire mm-hmm. episode, Bill. But mm-hmm. I I I am failing because yeah. Justin Herbert and Trevor Lawrence, they're both six foot six. They both have these That's majestic really arms. So tall. Strong, they have they're so strong. They have this hair, the majestic Mm. manes of hair. You you don't have to tell me, Pablo. I'm well aware of how good their hair is, just just flowing, flowing in in a a gold in a golden breeze. Uh, I don't even know if that's possible, but it feels right in my mind's eye. And they're also, by the way, both younger than Stetson Bennett the fourth. So, (laughs) what kind of a showcase are we getting in this game?
1: Uh, A defensive one is what I think it boils down to having given me that wonderful lead and that wonderful explanation for how great these quarterbacks are. Yes, I I agree with you. There is a universe where this is a 34 31 shootout and we're all super excited about another decade of Justin Herbert and Trevor Lawrence, but I kind of don't feel like that's likely to be the case. Lawrence and the Jags, even though they did win the AFC South last Saturday it was a sloppy performance. They were losing to Joshua Dobbs and the Titans mm. with three minutes to go before a fumble recovery. They had an ugly uh, fumble lost on a bizarre trick play. But Trevor Lawrence missed a wide open receiver in the end zone for what should have been a touchdown. It was a very mediocre performance for a guy who has been otherwise excellent during the second half of the season. Right, and Trevor Lawrence, he's now facing a Chargers team that has the eighth best defense in football over the last five weeks that's pretty good but the Jags have been the best defense in football Mm. over the last five weeks by EPA per play now to be fair they've played Joshua Dobbs Davis Mills and Zach Wilson which is going to make your numbers look good (laughs) but they're really kind of the focal point of why this team is winning games right now and they're about to face a Chargers offense that I would say inexplicably decided to play their starters deep into the second half of a meaningless, well, more meaningless than even your typical Broncos game, <laughs> a meaningless game against the Broncos yes. and lost starting wide receiver Mike Williams to an injury.
0: Yeah, look, I was about to just uh, take the time to give you credit for seeing the Jaguars being a lot better this oh. season before most anybody else did, Thank which you. you did, by the way. But you just mentioned the Mike Williams thing, Bill. Mm-hmm. And, and yes, this is... This is the thing where he needed to be carried out of the stadium. Now, he is expected to play this Sunday. But the even larger question to me is about why he was there. And you just referenced the inexplicable aspect of Brandon Staley now, playing all his guys in that game that meant nothing. So just how how self-defeating was that? How do you view that now in the light of day? It doesn't look
1: great. Pablo and I think you know there's different schools of thought right like you talk to different coaches you hear what what they think and there are some coaches who say they should rest their players in meaningless games to avoid injuries some coaches say no you play them to keep their competitive juices flowing now we know one thing which is that you have a much better shot at staying healthy if you're not playing football in week 18 than you are if you're sitting on the sidelines so it kind of seems like the burden should be on the other side of the argument. You should have pretty substantial and meaningful evidence that teams who play their starters in meaningless games at the end of the season end up not regretting that choice into the postseason. So I went back in 2012, which is somehow a decade ago now, at Grantland and I tested this theory. I went and took teams mm. who had similar records but had different paths to that record. Some of them were better early in the season. Others were much better late in the season. And I figured, okay, if we're going to isolate those teams and look at these two groups, the teams that played better late in the season should then carry on that momentum into the postseason if this is true. And what I found was exactly the opposite. Teams who got hot in December actually played worse in the postseason than the teams who had played well in September and October. And granted, like I said, this was 10 years ago. A lot has happened in the last 10 years. I think Tim Tebow was in the postseason the last time I looked at this. But we do not have strong evidence that that momentum from the end of the regular season carries through into the postseason. And if that's not the case, leaving your starters out there to get injured is kind of a bad idea. The worst part about all this, Pablo, is that it didn't work. Steli's Chargers Mm. lost. They didn't win. They didn't keep up their momentum. They didn't play well. They lost to a Russell Wilson-led Broncos team that had just been slandered on Nickelodeon by a SpongeBob SquarePants character two weeks
2: ago. (laughs) Oh, there's Russ Wilson. Oh, oh, no! That's called uh, an interception. That's not what he wanted to cook.
1: Not only Did Mike Williams and Kenneth Murray, their starting linebacker, get injured in this game? But whatever momentum the Chargers were hoping to sustain dissipated into the void with this defeat. So if you're going to trust that momentum side of things, you better actually win. And Brandon Staley and company did not do that in week 18.
2: No,
0: they went to bed hungry that night, Bill, as we aspire to be actually at the end of our Saturday to leave room for Sunday and Monday. And we're going to dig into all of that after the break.
2: visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live.
0: Okay, so we have woken up now on Sunday morning. I'm now like talking to you as if I'm uh, narrating an RPG. But you wake up on Sunday morning. You are greeted by the slate of games on your television. Which, which direction do you walk in? <laughs> you walk right. And in front of you are the Miami Dolphins visiting the Buffalo Bills at 1 p.m. Eastern. And the prologue to this one, Bill, the backstory here, the scroll that you're reading, it tells you everything that you already know, that DeMar Hamlin's health is finally trending upwards, that this is the biggest story in sports. We know all of that. More on tomorrow's show about that, actually. But for now, it is worth remembering that up until that point... It was Miami's own medical scare, right? That was the number one story in this sport, you might argue. And on Christmas against the Packers, Tua vailoa got concussed again, meaning that he has not played a single game since. So on the Dolphin side of things, as we turn on this television, just bring us up to speed as to what got us here.
1: Yes. So you may remember early in the season, against these very Bills, actually, Tua tango left a game with what certainly seemed like a concussion at the time. He returned to the game. We were told that he had a back injury. He subsequently suffered a concussion against the Bengals. Missed two games, came back, and played for the next two and a half months before the Packers game he mentioned on Christmas, where tango suffered a concussion, did not have symptoms at the time, but went into the protocol after the game when he reportedly was having trouble remembering plays from the second half of the Packers loss. He has not played since. And the Dolphins, given the understandable uproar after Tango Vailoa's concussion earlier in the season, have been adamant publicly that they will not do anything to rush their star quarterback back from that concussion he suffered against Green Bay, which could be, depending on whether you believe the NFL, either his second or third concussion of the 2022 season. So the team did not rush Tua Tanga Violoa back. Miami announced yesterday that Tua will not play in the wild card round game against the Bills and that Skylar Thompson is expected to start. Teddy Bridgewater is dealing with a dislocated pinky and will be the number two quarterback. Mike Lennon, a very tall man who looks oh, like a quarterback. That
0: neck, so long.
1: Extremely long necked man through 10 interceptions in six games for the Giants last year, was signed this month to be the number three, and he could plausibly play in this game at some point.
0: And and Tua Anon, I mean, they stuck their necks out here, incidentally, and they are reeling, Bill. I mean, the two drops, the two drops told him it wouldn't end like this. But just to be extra clear about what this is now, what does the Dolphins offense look like without Tua in it? What is a banged up and admittedly banged up Bill's defense going to have to stop here? Uh, the run I'm, I'm trying to be generous,
1: uh, the passing of time. There's, there's not a lot to look at here for the dolphins and be concerned about because this is an entirely different offense with Skylar Thompson under center. Tango Valoa averaged 8.9 yards per attempt. Now Pablo this year, there were 47 quarterbacks who threw 100 attempts or more. Tango is 8.9 yards per attempt ranked him number one out of those 47 quarterbacks. Skyler Thompson averaged 5.1 yards per attempt. That was 47th out of those 47 quarterbacks. So the Dolphins are going from the best quarterback in football in terms of picking up yardage to the worst quarterback in football in terms of picking up yardage. It's going to take something spectacular after the catch from Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle or a bunch of Bill's mistakes to keep the Dolphins in this game.
0: Okay, so at this point the afternoon is upon us. It is 4:30 p.m. Eastern. Giants at Vikings bill. And here here I find myself asking one of the bigger and uh, I guess, you know, arguably more disrespectful questions that both of us have asked again and again over the course of this season, which is whether the Minnesota Vikings are actually good, right? Like, this is a team that is 13 and 13-4. They are the three seed. They are hosting the New York Giants. But how excited should those New York Giants be to get these Minnesota Vikings in round one?
1: This feels like a cheat in the RPG, Pablo, where maybe <laughs> your sword isn't very strong, but then you face a boss who has three hit points. That, that mm. sounds like the Minnesota Vikings to me because they're not just one of the worst division winners in recent memory. They're not just a team that finished with a negative point differential. They're not just the first team in league history to win 12 or more games despite being outscored by their competition. Pablo, I'm a big fan of Football Outsiders. In full disclosure, I used to work there. Their DVOA efficiency stat is a very good way to judge how teams play and how teams are going to play moving forward. Pablo, DVOA pegs the Vikings as the sixth worst team in the entire league
0: (laughs) at the end of the regular season. Sixth from the bottom.
1: Yes, 27th out of 32 teams. Oh my God. The teams below the Vikings in the DVOA rankings either fire their coach or they're the Chicago Bears who have the worst record in football. (laughs) That is how bad DVOA believes the Vikings to be at this point. Of the season. And to be fair, we have seen teams this bad before make it into the postseason. They just don't usually last very long. 53 teams have advanced to the postseason with a negative point differential. And just one, the 2011 Giants, advanced to the Super Bowl. But the odds are stacked against the Vikings making a deep run into the postseason. Now, plenty of those teams that had negative point differentials did win their first playoff game. The 2020 Browns beat Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers. The 2019 Texans beat Josh Allen in that game where he melted down and threw a 60-yard pass to a fullback. The 2016 Texans got to play the Raiders with Connor Cook, making his first and only NFL start at quarterback. Just because you're a mediocre team does not mean you will not encounter another mediocre team on your winding walk into the wild card round. And if you're the Vikings, Pablo, to get back to your question, you might be thrilled that you're getting to face the Giants in round one because while they're better than the Vikings, they're not that much better. Brian Dable's team was 21st in DVOA. They were also outscored by their opponents. They have a total of two victories over teams with winning records all season and their only wins since Halloween have come over the Texans the Colts, and the Commanders.
0: Which feels appropriate timeline-wise, setting up Halloween, because these are teams that seem to be wearing the costumes of better ones. And <laughs> and so too, by the way, is the dynamic with Daniel Jones a little bit. I mean, I live here in New York City, Bill, as you know. It is remarkable to see how popular that Daniel Jones, who lots of people, myself included, had jokes for. yes, He is just so popular right now. Pablo, you may remember
1: that at one point in his career, New York kind of felt the same way about Eli Manning. They wished Mm. that he could be as successful as Tony Romo. They were even after he won the first Super Bowl. There were columns about how Eli Manning did not have the it factor that Mark Sanchez so clearly had (laughs) for the New York Jets. For some reason, it takes New York a while to warm up to Giants quarterbacks. And maybe that's what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. See, Pablo, I, I, I believe you were betrothed before the app dating world, but mm, I was sometimes sometimes there are people you might have swipe left on, or maybe after a while you're a little lonelier, you're a little sadder. Maybe you swipe right on that person. Maybe that's where the Giants friends are with Daniel Jones, but legitimately like that person standing at the end of the bar at two in the morning. Daniel Jones looks kind of hot right now. He (laughs) has been the best quarterback in football by QBR Mm. over the last month of the season. He's posted a 78.2 QBR. It's just a little bit better than Patrick Mahomes in second place. And I think we have to take that with a grain of salt. The competition has not been especially difficult. Brian Dable really still has training wheels on Jones. His average pass travels just six yards in the air, the shortest average distance of any passer in football. But for a guy who seemed to fumble two or three times a week, who had trouble avoiding interceptions in practice, Daniel Jones has done a really good job this season of protecting the football and avoiding mistakes. The Giants have turned the ball over just 16 times in 17 games, the second fewest of any team in football. Now... Two of those turnovers and a blocked punt, which should count as a turnover, but does not for some reason, came against the Vikings in week 16, handing Minnesota 10 points in what eventually became a 27-24 Vikings victory. If Jones can avoid giveaways, the Giants might deserve to be considered favorites against the Vikings in Minnesota.
0: But speaking of strained courtship, the Lamar Jackson Baltimore Ravens question, whether they're going to pop the question. It lands on Saturday Night Football because here we are now. It is the rematch of last week's Ravens-Bengals game. And last week's Ravens-Bengals game, for the record, which the Bengals won, was itself a very mediocre thing. And the highlight was like Joe Burrow, who has now won eight straight games, incidentally. It was just him smoking a cigar after it was over. And so how different is the playoff version of that matchup supposed to be? And how much of that is actually contingent? on, yeah, Lamar Jackson, who has not played, by the way, in over a month now, as his contract remains very unsettled as he's up for free agency at the end of this season. Yeah,
1: it's not looking all that great for Lamar Jackson to play in this game with his knee injury. He missed practice on Wednesday. That was typically kind of the point where if he was going to play, he would have come back and started practicing. And it's not just Lamar Jackson who's injured Pablo. Backup quarterback Tyler Huntley was not seen throwing any passes in practice on Wednesday due to tendinitis in his right shoulder. Now this might fall on third-string quarterback Anthony Brown, who started last week against the Bengals and was 19 for 44 with two interceptions and a fumble. And this is about as bare bones as it's going to get for a playoff offense. Because even Huntley can add some value as a runner. But Brown had three carries for negative five yards in his first career start last week. On top of that, he's throwing to what has to be the league's worst group of wide receivers. The only thing I can think of for the Ravens is that they do still have one incredible weapon. And I think about the rock and jock challenge, Pablo, and how they used to have a 25-point shot in the MTV <laughs> rock and jock of basketball course. game.
0: Yes, Dan Cortez. Dan
1: Cortez, uh, of course. Ken Justin Tucker get a 25-point shot if he hits an 80-yard field goal? Can the Ravens change the (laughs) rules of football to make it so that Justin Tucker can score more than three points in a field goal attempt? Because that might be the only plausible way for the Ravens to win this game.
0: And so I want to make this game on Sunday, Joe Burrow versus potentially someone who is not Lamar Jackson. I want to make that game interesting nonetheless. How do we make Joe Burrow a little less confident? What does that actually require on the Ravens' part?
1: I don't know if anybody could make Joe Burrow unconfident or not confident, but let's try and remind him of a situation where he was facing an inferior quarterback and it did not work out for the Bengals. And we have to go back to week one of this NFL season, Pablo. The Steelers were starting Mitch Trubisky and they beat the Bengals, the defending AFC champions in Cincinnati. The Steelers buzzed Burrow at pressure all day, and they forced five turnovers while Evan McPherson, the Bengals kicker, missed a chip shot field goal in overtime, which would have won the game. Now, granted, this only got the Steelers to a narrow victory, but if the Steelers could do that with Trubisky and their defense, I think the Ravens can do it with Huntley and their defense. That five turnover mark is significant to me. Cincinnati is nine and two when they either don't turn the ball over or only turn the ball over once. They're two and two otherwise, and their wins included a 37 30 victory over those same Steelers and a 22 18 victory over the Patriots. One where the Bengals had to come up with a forced fumble of their own on the five yard line with 107 to go to save their winning streak. So, if you can't count on Lamar Jackson being on the field, the path for the Ravens to win is probably multiple takeaways from Burrow and a low scoring close game.
0: Yeah, you're talking about like a, a birthday present level of generosity here that the Bengals would need to give to the Ravens for this to happen. But it might happen. But speaking of such a celebration, do you know like those desserts that they bring at the end of a meal at like a nice restaurant where they bring like, oh, a yeah. cart table side? Yes. And the word flambe is involved. They're like <laughs> lighting stuff on fire. Because like we've reached the end of our meal, but that dessert, that game is coming up.
2: Your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home some huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. We have made it to
0: Monday night, Bill. We have saved all this room in our gullets. The tablecloth is stained, but guess what? We have one more thing to eat, and it's 8.15 p.m. Eastern, and we are going to burp so many takes after this. (laughs) But before we know what to burp, I want to set it up because it's the NFC South division champion, Tom Brady. I'm sure he has like a plaque that he'll commemorate that with in his house. (laughs) Um, We'll get to him in a second. And then there's Dak Prescott, who entered the year as an MVP candidate, but has been struggling. Like, really struggling in a way that must both infuriate and also uh, perversely, secretly validate Jerry Jones and his ticks. <laughs> uh, but what's going on, man, with Dak and the Cowboys' offense? It's kind of falling apart,
1: seemingly, Pablo. Prescott leads the league in interceptions with 15 picks. He has 11 in his last seven games. The offensive line is banged up, Pablo. Right tackle Terrence Steele is out for the season. Center Tyler Biotish has missed time in December with an ankle injury and may not be able to play in the wildcard round. Legendary tackle Tyron Smith is back, but he's playing on the right side to replace Steele. Tony Pollard, who has been breaking out for the Cowboys at running back this year, missed the Week 17 game with a thigh injury and has 38 rushing yards on 16 carries over the last three weeks of this season. It feels Pablo, like the Cowboys have become that self-fulfilling Jerry Jones prophecy. Mm. Jerry Jones has famously said throughout this entire season that the Cowboys go as Zeke goes. Yes, And right now Ezekiel Elliott is averaging a career low 3.8 yards per carry. <laughs> he's down to 1.7 yards per carry over the last two games where he's had to be the primary running back for this Cowboys offense. So the Buccaneers are not quite as good against the run as maybe they were in years past. Teams have been able to run on them in stretches. Carolina comes to mind as an example earlier this season, but this feels like a game where the Cowboys are going to want to run the ball and may not have all that much success doing so.
0: And so Dak is Palpably trending down right now yes. and Tom Brady on the other hand I mean we talked earlier about how strange it is to wake up after hibernation and find uh, <laughs> Brock Purdy in the postseason yes. it is obviously the exact opposite in this very game. comforting to this yes. person who's been
1: hibernating for months
0: absolutely and, and it's to the point where I'm just wondering if I actually should have just ignored all of Tom Brady's games <laughs> until this one because what are we dealing with now with the eight and nine Tampa Bay Buccaneers? How different are they to the to the team that I remember utterly being unimpressed by? <laughs>
1: <laughs> the team we were dismissing for about two months straight, undebatable, Bob. That's right. That that Tampa Buccaneers, I, I I am not sure that I buy the argument that the Buccaneers suddenly figured out that they have Mike Evans in week seventeen. Granted. Mike Evans did catch three long touchdown passes in the division-clinching win over the Panthers. But I think that's more a product of the Buccaneers going up against a pair of backup cornerbacks after J.C. Horn and Dante Jackson went down injured for Carolina. At the same time, Pablo, we have seen the Jags and the Commanders in recent weeks both have success attacking Dallas downfield. The Cowboys are the league's sixth best defense by QBR against short and intermediate passes, but they rank 21st in the NFL in QBR against deep throws. Mm. The Bucks may also get back their own starting center in Ryan Jensen, who's missed the entire season. And he would be a huge advantage for that offensive line against Micah Parsons and that great Cowboys pass rush.
0: So what you're saying is that the Bucs might look specifically a lot more like the version of themselves from roughly a million years ago in week one when they, yes, happened to open the season, coincidentally, against the Cowboys.
1: As long as you watch that week one game and then hibernated, you're going to (laughs) be totally caught up with what might happen in this game here. The Buccaneers knocked Prescott out of that game with a finger injury, but that was in the second half. Even before Dak went down, Tampa was stifling the Dallas offense. Brady got the ball out quickly to avoid the Cowboys' pass rush. Leonard Fournette averaged six yards per carry in what was probably his only good game of the year. And the Bucks won 19-3. I don't want to scare you, Pablo, but it could very easily be another game like that on Monday night.
0: Oh, God. I mean, the entire conceit of this episode, Bill was you helping us avoid football indigestion. <laughs> and I'm realizing as I see in my mind's eye what Tom Brady's about to do here. Yeah, I I, I just puked.
1: The good news is, Pablo, you still have two more months to hibernate before the spring, so you'll be fine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Bill Barnwell, thank you for being awake this entire time, so we didn't have to. I'll keep you updated, Pablo. Thank you. Pablo Torre. This has been ESPN Daily, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.